You can subscribe to The Spectator for 12 weeks for only £12 for our print and online editions, plus get six months of digital access free to The Telegraph. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash telegraph. Welcome to Holy Smoke, The Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. What an amazing week this has been in the Vatican. The Pope has sacked Cardinal Angelo Becciu, who until 2018 was his chief of staff and most trusted associate. Becciu has not only lost his current job, but has been stripped of the rights and dignities of a cardinal. And he is spitting with fury. Meanwhile, Becciu's old adversary, Cardinal George Pell, who until recently was in an Australian jail, is coming back to Rome to help the Pope complete financial reforms that Betru had thwarted while allegedly lining his own pockets to an extraordinary degree. The Netflix screenplay is the journalist who has done more than any other to bring to light Angelo Betru's frankly villainous activities. He's Ed Condon, Washington Bureau Chief of the Catholic News Agency. Ed, it has been a truly extraordinary week in Rome. It's been described as the most extraordinary and disorientating since Benedict resigned. We've seen Cardinal Angelo Becciu, who was previously the Pope's chief of staff, stripped of the rights and privileges of a cardinal and accused personally by the Pope of embezzling money and funneling it towards his family, humiliated in the most astonishing manner. And then as soon as the first act of this extraordinary drama played out, then Cardinal Pell, who a year ago was in jail, who had previously been in charge of reforming the Vatican and who had locked horns with Betru, has said that he's coming back to Rome. In fact, has been asked back to Rome by the Pope, essentially to continue in some shape or form his reform of the Vatican finances and certainly, I think, help the Pope clear up this mess. But it is a very, very complicated story. Because Betru, in addition to being accused of giving large amounts of money to his family, also notoriously invested heavily and unwisely in the London property market. And also, bizarrely, got himself involved in various Nigerian oil companies. And all of this has been going on for several years. And Ed, you've been covering it for several years. And I think you deserve an enormous amount of credit for the fact that the revelations about Cardinal Betru have become public. Catholics will have tremendous difficulty making sense of this whole business, not least because back in 2018, Becciu, who was already associated with a financial scandal, was made a cardinal by Pope Francis. He was kicked upstairs, given a less important job in charge of the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, but nonetheless made a cardinal, which is the one prize that every ambitious Roman churchman is after. So... If you could begin by just taking us through, as simply as possible, the various stages of this scandal. I think in many respects it's it's helpful not to try and imagine the different scandals or, or reported stories around Vatican finances which Cardinal Becciu finds himself associated with as a linear timeline, because in many respects, it's a, it's a very complicated interweaving set of separate financial transactions or investments on behalf of the Vatican, a very long and tortured tour through uh, the, the sort of Byzantine world of curial politics and day-to-day -day power. 
But I think what we can say is that uh, over the course of uh, Cardinal Becciu's career at the Secretariat of State, where he was sostituto, as you say, uh, this is before he was a cardinal, when he was Archbishop Becciu, there was never any shortage of stories about unusual, problematic, opaque money deals one way or another. You mentioned African oil companies, and there was a story, I think it was first reported by the Financial Times, actually, that the Secretary of State under him considered hundreds of millions of euro investment in a company called Falcon Oil, which was brought to the Secretary of State for their consideration by by someone that Betchu had met when he was uh, the Vatican ambassador in Angola. This is, if you like, a snapshot of the sort of strange and, and wonderful financial deals that the Vatican got involved with under his stewardship. You mentioned a London property deal where a former Harrods warehouse was bought for, again, hundreds of millions of euros. But but even that's a very straightforward telling for what actually was um, even more money, um, Vatican money, and in some cases, tens or hundreds of millions of euros in borrowed money from not necessarily reputable Swiss banks on behalf of the Vatican being invested with a single Italian financier. Uh, and then um, basically having to buy this building from the same financier in stages. I mean, it, it, it's difficult to put any of this in sort of a, a clear and concise packaging because it is so opaque and so complicated. And in some cases, it's hard to escape the conclusion that it's deliberately structured to be so, to make it hard to follow, involving, you know, multiple layers of shell and holding companies in the Channel Islands and Luxembourg and traveling through Malta and all the sorts of things. So it is, it is very, very complicated. And what we've seen since Cardinal Betchu's resignation last week is um, a number of these different stories percolating to the top now in the wider media. Things involving his family, members of his family, also past business connections and, and deals. He was also part of a, an interesting attempt to, to save, in inverted commas, uh, an Italian hospital in Rome, which went under with, I think, nearly a billion euros in debt uh, that involved incredibly wide-scale fraud and theft when it went under you know plenty of people including churchmen going to prison as a result that was a, that um, was a so particularly disgraceful episode i remember because an american charity was asked to pay the bill to prop up this corrupt hospital and when they refused the vatican put the thumbscrews on them essentially well and not even save the hospital if you like or to prop it up but actually more or less to fund the secretary of state's participation in an entity that was created to buy the hospital out of administration after it had all gone to pot it is impossible to put even even the sort of you know narrowest snapshot of these deals into user-friendly language because it is so convoluted and you know the more you dig into it there's you know there's hints in some corners about organized crime there's you know government wiretaps in other parts of the story that you know, it really is a saga stranger than fiction in many cases but you know what we are seeing now i think is the most encouraging and interesting thing of all which is one thing that, that you can put a timeline on has been the slow rumbling but increasingly inexorable progression of an of a Vatican investigation into all of this. And when we've spoken in the past of Vatican investigators looking into possible financial misconduct, people kind of roll their eyes and go, well, this isn't going to go anywhere, surely. But it's already gone quite some distance in nearly two years now. We've seen offices at the Vatican Secretary of State raided, uh, other offices throughout the curial departments where, where former staff members from the Secretary of State had been transferred and were now working, often having been promoted. So we've seen really this investigation, if you like, swimming up the food chain more and more until arriving at what perhaps will be the top of it, which is Cardinal Betchew. 
So his dramatic, and it certainly was dramatic, resignation at the end of last week was reported in a lot of places as out of the blue and completely unexpected. But I think for people who've been following this story, and I admit that probably isn't a very high number, but um, for those who have been following this story, it seemed a lot less sudden and possibly even a long time in coming. Well, it has indeed been a long time coming. And I think there are many Catholics who want to know why Cardinal Becciu was apparently able to get away with these extraordinarily dodgy financial deals involving unimaginable sums of money and the money of the faithful, the money of people without much money in their own pockets, at a time when Cardinal Pelt had been brought in to reform the Vatican finances and had very clearly worked out what was going on, was extremely disturbed by it. And yet Pearl found himself dragged back to Australia on a trumped-up charge, and Betchew remained in position for a bit at the Secretariat of State and was then promoted. And I think lots of people will be wondering, what was the Pope doing during all this time? Well, I think it's a reasonable question for anyone to ask, but um, the answer to it probably lies a bit in understanding people's relative lines of authority and, again, the sort of Renaissance palace intrigue that often rules how power is exercised in the Vatican. So during the early years of Francis's papacy, um, he, he kicked off a number of programs for financial reform and put Cardinal Pell in charge of them. And Cardinal Pell was, you know, depending on, on who you ask, they'll characterize it variously as a as a as an unflinching reformer, and other people will call him a bull in the china shop. I'm not sure he necessarily dispute either characterization. I think he was very clear about what he was doing and and how important the work was. But when he was put in charge of all these things, he, in theory, was granted almost complete legal authority and autonomy. He was supposed to be reporting an answer only to the Pope. But he very quickly found that the Secretary of State, which has been sort of traditionally the the real power center in the Vatican, was working to limit, in some cases, reverse the reforms he was bringing in. You know, most notably, there was this attempt to, to have a, a Vatican-wide audit of all the finances. And that was spiked pretty unceremoniously by then Archbishop Betchew, who was not just outside of Cardinal Pell's line of authority, but he's very much his inferior in terms of the, the sort of curial food chain. But of course, what Cardinal Betchew had was a direct line to Pope Francis. And, you know, as substitute at the Secretary of State, he was in many respects responsible for what the Pope knew, that, you know, what gets put across the Pope's desk on any given day, what he hears, who he meets with, whose opinion he gets first, is very often the sustituto of the Secretary of State. So you had a situation where some, some parts of the Curia, appointed by Pope Francis, were trying very hard to bring in um, reforming measures and found themselves being stymied by those who, who had a lot more daily contact and access to the same Pope. Now, I think... When you know, looking at a timeline, it's easy to see how in 2016 this this audit was cancelled, for example, and then in 2017 you had Cardinal Pell having to go back to Australia, but you also had the first Auditor General of the of the Holy See resigned, <laughs> in inverted commas, in much the same way that Cardinal Betchew can be said to have resigned last week. In fact, he was resigned by Cardinal Betchew, who threatened him with criminal prosecution for, of all things, spying on his personal finances, which one would have thought was the role of an auditor general but um he, he even threatened to throw him in a vatican jail i believe he did he threatened him with uh, according to both cardinal betchew and libero maloney threatened him with criminal prosecution and arrest if he didn't go quietly um 
Uh, but what happened, of course, after that sort of 2017 high watermark of these sort of dramatic events and the, the reforming efforts appearing to hit the buffers was uh, Cardinal Becci himself then left his post the subsequent year and was, as you say, uh, promoted to lead the Congregation for the Causes of Saints and, and made a cardinal. Now, there's little hard reporting on what led to, to that particular promotion. Um, but there's no shortage of anecdote. If you ask around Rome and if you ask around the Curia, the Secretary of State, the, pre the Secretary for the Economy, all, all sorts of people, everyone's got their own theory. But one of the ones that was most, uh, I think, insistently uh, encountered, at least by me, was the story that Cardinal Paroline, who is actually in charge of the Secretary of State, wanted to see Betchu reassigned and, in fact, wanted to see him moved out of the way because he wasn't entirely satisfied with what was going on and could perceive, if you like, a sort of fiefdom being carved out in alternate lines of authority uh, and also uh, a lot of daily influence and access with the Pope, which he didn't necessarily think was healthy. Now, again, this is this is merely anecdote, but it's one possible theory. And, and Rome certainly does have a long tradition, and indeed even an adage, of you promote to remove. Uh, that if someone becomes, if you like, too influential and too powerful to, to sack or demote very visibly, you have to promote them sideways. But Ed, there's a tradition probably in every large organization of kicking people upstairs. And it's, you, you may do it because somebody's become too influential or because they're an effective old buffer or whatever. But in this case, we're talking about kicking upstairs somebody who was already suspected of corruption, probably by his own boss, Cardinal Paroline, at which point Pope Francis makes him a cardinal. And I'm afraid that this does fit into a narrative of Francis protecting and promoting people who are subsequently shown to be very guilty men indeed. Well, I think there are a lot of individuals in the Vatican, and, and you've certainly not been shy of, of reporting on them in the past, and neither have I, of people that you, you would hope to see treated in a more transparently legal way for accusations outstanding against them. Although what I would note in Cardinal Becciu's case is, really no sooner was he promoted out than an investigation into his sort of financial control of Vatican investments began in earnest. And you'd be hard-pressed to find someone more cynical of Vatican financial reforming efforts and their progress than me. But even I have to concede that I didn't hold out much hope for this investigation when it began almost two years ago now. But nevertheless, it has been a slow-moving but apparently unstoppable force. I mean, if you had told me under either John Paul II or Benedict XVI or even under Pope Francis in the, in the opening years that you'd see a cardinal resign in disgrace over accusations of financial impropriety on the express insistence of the Pope, I would have been extremely skeptical, to say the least. I mean, it's never happened before. We've had um, cardinals resign in disgrace. We've had cardinals lose the red hat. We've even had a cardinal resign the rights and privileges of being a cardinal without losing the title, all for very grave offenses. But none of them have involved money. I mean, it's, you know, it's, if you like, always been considered almost or at least treated as a, a victimless crime in the Vatican. All right, but let me, just, let me just make the point one last time. It is also an extraordinary thing for somebody widely suspected of corruption to receive a cardinal's hat in the first place. And don't tell me that the Pope didn't know about the rumours. He did. I'm sure that Pope Francis was aware of more than a few conflicts that Cardinal Betchew had with his own reforming agenda, if for no other reason than I'm sure Cardinal Pell would have told him. In so meeting. he gave him a red hat. It made him a prince of the church. So I think that's disgraceful. But anyway, Ed, I'd like to talk about Cardinal Pell, for whom I have the highest regard. It was clear to me 
And to any fair-minded person, I think, that the charges he faces in Australia were entirely fabricated and that his conviction and imprisonment was a disgrace. His conviction was quite rightly quashed. As soon as I heard about the implosion of Betu, I did think, well, Cardinal Pell is unlikely to be shedding too many tears because Betu has resisted Pell's reforming efforts so ferociously. And in a brief statement, this is before he announced he was coming back to Rome, Cardinal Pell said that, he, first of all, he said that the Pope plays a long game with reform of the Vatican finances. Whether that was tongue-in-cheek or not, I can't say. But he then said that he hoped there would be a cleaning of the stables in both the Vatican and Victoria. And I thought we were linking together of the Vatican and the Australian state, which brought these appalling fabricated charges against Pell, was very, very interesting. Because I have wondered for a very long time, and so have many other people, whether there's been a degree of collusion between Pell's enemies in Rome and Pell's enemies in Australia. Well, you, you certainly don't have to travel too far to find people who've advanced that theory. I confess I myself have not seen anything in the way of evidence showing that kind of link. But what I have seen is a number of people who point out that it was a very, very happy set of coincidences around 2017 that resulted in Cardinal Pell leaving the Vatican when he did. Something that I, I always think is worth pointing out you mentioned the advisability of Pope Francis having made Cardinal Betu a cardinal in the first place. But what I would also note is this, that Cardinal Pell flew across the world to face charges of child sexual abuse. While he was there, he was convicted by a court. That conviction was then upheld before he was finally vindicated by, by the high court. And I found the reasoning of the high court to be extremely compelling. But nevertheless, through all of that, Pope Francis never asked for his resignation. He remained in, at least on paper, on a leave of absence from all of his Vatican posts until he sort of aged out at the end of, at the end of different five-year terms. He was never asked to resign as a cardinal. He never resigned the rights and privileges of being a cardinal. He, he held the, the sort of historical distinction of being a serving cardinal of the Roman Curia in good standing while sitting in solitary confinement in Australian prison. So the Pope never asked the resi any resignation of Cardinal Pell, despite that extraordinary legal ordeal he went through. Whereas it seems to have taken, one assumes, something even more compelling and grave than what Cardinal Pell was confronted with to, to cause him to demand Cardinal Betchew's resignation. I think you make a very good point, Ed. And... I gather that the Pope has believed in Cardinal Pell's innocence throughout. Nonetheless, I do wonder how much damage this is going to do to Pope Francis. I can't help drawing an analogy with the McCarrick case. Everybody knew what McCarrick had been up to. The Pope was told by Vigano what McCarrick had been up to, but chose not to inform himself, and then employed McCarrick on various important tasks, such as brokering the deal with China. And it was only when the New York Times revealed that McCarrick had been accused of sexually abusing a minor that the Pope stripped him of the status of a cardinal. And it does rather feel as if history is repeating itself in this case. It's only when it was perfectly clear that Betchew was going to be exposed as a major league crook that the Pope acted. It's always difficult to know exactly what the Pope knows and when, <laughs> which is not a creature of circumstance particular to this papacy by any means. But I think what I would say gives encouragement, to me at least, in what's going on with regards to Vatican finances and, and the resignation of Cardinal Betchew is Cardinal Betchew has insisted he's not done anything wrong and has demanded his day in court, if you like. Now, 
All the signs suggest, including Pope Francis taking on an extra prosecutor, a specialist in commercial law for the Vatican city-state, all the signs suggest that Cardinal Becci is going to get his wish and he's going to get his day in court. In fact, he may well get more than one day in more than one court. And again, if you had told me that a cardinal of the Roman Curia would, could find himself in a, in a Vatican dock facing charges of financial malfeasance, frankly, I wouldn't have believed you. And, and while I'm, I'm proud of our own coverage of uh, Vatican financial affairs, including those touching Cardinal Becciu over the past few years, uh, and I'd like to think they've, they've oiled the wheels of justice turning uh, to some extent. Oh, they have, most certainly. I mean, they, your, your coverage for the Catholic News Agency has been the most comprehensive, the most authoritative. That may sound like a backhanded compliment in that, with one or two exceptions, the secular press has chosen to ignore this scandal, believing that Pope Francis and his associates can do no wrong. Nonetheless, you've done a fantastic job, Ed. Well, I, I appreciate that. But whatever help good press scrutiny can provide in, in keeping matters in the public eye, the fact is that these raids were going on no matter what. And these investigations were taking place. And, and again, if what has come out of the sort of tortured timeline of initial attempts at Big Bang financial reform in the Vatican under Pope Francis, uh, led by Cardinal Pell and figures like Libero Maloney that, that appeared to be completely derailed in about 2017, are now back on track and being driven not by policy changes or, or attempts at structural reform in that sense, but being driven by investigators and prosecutors saying, no, no, we're going to apply the letter of the law here, and people who've done wrong will face charges. I would call that reform of a magnitude and order that is far more encouraging than any sort of rewriting of the fine print of Vatican financial manuals. And again, it's, it's simply something I wouldn't have credited as being able to happen a couple of years ago. This wouldn't be happening. These investigations wouldn't have started, certainly wouldn't have gathered pace if it hadn't been for stuff that had been appearing in the media. They wouldn't have. Well, we wouldn't have even got them in the media uh, under previous pontificates necessarily. So <laughs> progress of a kind wherever it comes. So this drama obviously isn't over. I can't help wondering what Betu is likely to reveal about the inner workings of this papacy, should he choose to do so, because having been chief of staff, nobody is better placed to do that. I suspect that if he was in a mind to be free and frank, Cardinal Betchew could probably tell some very interesting stories, not just on Vatican finances, but on a range of matters that have passed through his office when he was at the Secretariat of State, um, including perhaps the Vatican-China deal. But, you know, we we will see. It's it's funny, when I, when I was publicly musing on the idea that Cardinal Betchew and, and other figures like him might one day see the inside of a courtroom and be asked to, to give an account of themselves under oath, in public, uh, someone in the Vatican said to me, oh, it's not possible. It's simply not possible. We tried having a trial for leakers and things a few years ago, and there was uh, the sort of the VatiLeaks 2 scandal um, a few years ago, where they put a couple of Vatican officials on trial, and they, they went into the witness box, and as at least as the person I was talking to remembered, he said, all hell broke loose. He said, we couldn't possibly have that with someone as senior as a cardinal or an archbishop. It's just not possible. And yet here we are. Well, you mentioned the Vatican-China deal. If the result of all this is to discredit that diabolical pact, then I think it would have been worth it. Ed Conlon, thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Damien. <laughs>